You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Warnings of Russian prep for an attack on power grids become more pointed. Phishing and impersonation attacks continue to rise. Microsoft patches a patch. The Sing Health breach remains under investigation. The Satori botnet may be taking another run at Android devices. Bluetooth vulnerabilities render paired devices susceptible to man-in-the-middle attacks. And evil-made attacks may be less difficult than you thought. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, July 24th, 2018. Security experts continue to expect renewed Russian attention to electrical power grids in the UK and the US. The period of relative restraint coinciding with the World Cup having ended when France edged Croatia. The World Cup hangover mood is more prevalent in the UK, where tensions with Russia have been heightened by a death from Novichok poisoning. The UK and essentially everyone else thinks the Novichok attack is Russian wet work. Russia says it was framed. In the U.S., the concerns have a different source, evidence that Russian operators have successfully fished various elements connected to the power grid. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security has been warning of this for some time, but yesterday it issued an unusually stark and direct alert. Energetic Bear, the name this particular threat actor has come to be known by, succeeded in compromising hundreds of victims in a long-running campaign against electrical distribution control centers. Energetic Bear got in by targeting vendors in phishing campaigns. It's worth noting that phishing was the Russian entry point, many believe, in their demonstration attacks on segments of the Ukrainian power grid. We heard from Phil Nire, VP of Industrial Cybersecurity at CyberX. He pointed out, quote, It's dangerous and reckless to assume that Russian cyber reconnaissance can be discounted because no one has actually turned off the power yet. It's clear that our adversaries now have direct access to hundreds or potentially thousands of systems that monitor or control our electrical grid, and they vacuumed up all kinds of sensitive information to help them plan their attacks. Now it's only a matter of political will and desire to test our red lines that's holding them back from throwing the switch. The potential consequences would be dramatic, ranging from human safety issues to a temporary shutdown of our entire economy. End quote. Phishing remains a problem and not just for power grids. Mimecast's second annual report on the state of email security, released today, indicates that phishing and impersonation attacks continue to trend upward. 
Why pursue exotic zero days when social engineering gets you what you're after? Singapore continues to take measure of the Sing Health breach. The attackers seemed principally interested in the Prime Minister's records, but they scooped up millions of others, too. The story is developing, but investigators in Singapore continue to pursue the theory that the attacker was a nation-state. Security firm Trend Micro reports a spike in what appear to be Satori infestations that are using open Android debug bridge, ADB ports, to install themselves. Satori is a variant of the Mirai botnet, and the code Trend Labs is observing looks like the work of the Satori botmasters. If you're an Android user, consider turning off ADB USB debugging and apps from unknown sources. And of course, updating your system is also a good idea, as newer versions of the Android software tend to be more resistant to this kind of attack. Brian Martin is Vice President of Vulnerability Intelligence at Risk-Based Security, and his team recently tracked a vulnerability that seemed to be affecting governments and municipalities using a software package called Click2Gov. Brian Martin shares what they found. They noticed that there was a pattern where Click2Gov kept coming up either in the description or uh, the website URL or you know some aspect of the disclosure. They decided to investigate a little further and try to figure out if they're all related, if it was a single website, uh, like a hosting provider that had been compromised, or if these were multiple different uh, organizations, or in this case, cities. And it turned out to be uh, one piece of software they had in common, but they were different deployments across the U.S. So can you describe to us what exactly is Click2Gov? It's basically a piece of software uh, written by a company called Superion, and it basically uh, handles a wide variety of government-related resources, everything from uh, allowing citizens to pay bills online for like water or trash, and it can also be used to manage and allow people to look up property records, basically a wide variety of those government services. And one of the things it does is it enables credit card processing, uh, and that seems to be where some of the the problems uh, occurred? Well, the credit card processing uh, is one of the aspects that basically brought this to light Hmm. uh, when those credit cards were compromised and cities had to notify people. But the actual flaw is kind of underneath that. There wasn't a flaw in the credit card processing per se, but the underlying software that uh, Click2Gov runs on, actually. So, so let's dig in here. What did you all discover? Once you had established that there was a pattern here, uh, how did you go about uh, look, you're trying to uh, discern what was going on, and what did you discover? Right. So the first thing we did is basically click to and load a lot of these sites um, just to get a feel for what they were like. Um, the first thing that we had to identify is if this was a piece of software that a city would download and host on their own servers, or if this was part of a managed service or a combination. Uh, And after quite a few sites and going through this, we determined that the Click2Gov software is run on separate servers by these cities, but the payment processing goes through uh, Superion. So it was kind of a blended solution. And then once we determined that information and more, we wrote a pretty extensive blog piece covering all of it. 
after that, several journalists took interest and they were able to get a comment from Superion who did not reply to us when we asked for a comment. And that's when it came to light that the vulnerability that was being exploited was actually in the underlying software uh, called Oracle WebLogic, which Click2Gov runs on. So Superion was very quick to say that their security patches were widely deployed. Over 99% of the customers have applied them, et cetera, et cetera. What they didn't really cover is that while their software may have been patched, the vulnerable web server that it's running on wasn't being patched. So in your estimation, was Superion being coy about this because uh, you know they, they didn't want to highlight the fact that, there was, that they were running on this Oracle system? It's hard to determine. Um, I think based on the wording that I've read personally, that yes, they are trying to be a little coy, that uh, this is a case where the vendor, even though it's not their software, uh, since they require it to run their software, should have been more proactive. They should have been telling customers, hey, there's a new set of security patches for WebLogic. You need to install these in addition to the patches that we send out. Uh, and basically help drive the, their customers to maintain a better security posture. That's Brian Martin from Risk-Based Security. You can find a complete accounting of their research into Click2Gov along with Superion's response on the Risk-Based Security website. Microsoft's July patches include a patch of a patch, a zero-day fix made in May to a VBScript engine bug open to exploitation by Internet Explorer, turned out to not fix things at all. But fix now, most people think. A vulnerability found in Bluetooth secure connections pairing and secure simple pairing can expose paired devices to man-in-the-middle attacks. As Carnegie Mellon's CERT puts it in their vulnerability note, quote, Bluetooth firmware or operating system software drivers may not sufficiently validate elliptic curve parameters used to generate public keys during a Diffie-Hellman key exchange, which may allow a remote attacker to obtain the encryption key used by the device, end quote. The good news is that fixes are currently available from most vendors of Bluetooth products, and more are to come soon. You'll need to be within wireless range to exploit the vulnerability, but that's possible for a war driver or even an evil maid. Apply the updates as they're available and stop looking over your shoulder or in the rearview mirror, as the case may be. Speaking of evil maid attacks, how about those hostile housekeepers, eh? An evil maid attack is one in which someone with physical access to an unattended machine compromises that machine. This kind of attack has long been known, but there's been a tendency to treat it as a kind of interesting outlier, a real possibility to be sure, but maybe too complicated and time-consuming to be something you'd worry about on a regular basis. But if you thought that, maybe you should think again. Security firm Eclipsium has posted a demonstration video that shows how a firmware backdoor could be installed in a laptop in under five minutes, four minutes and three seconds to be precise. Eclipsium researcher Mickey Shkatov built a small device that he can slip onto a chip to flash a laptop's firmware or BIOS with a backdoor or rootkit. He built a little wonder for the low, low price of just $285.00. And he used a generic backdoor that anyone can find for free on GitHub. You can watch the video easily at Motherboard's article on the proof of concept. So, four minutes and three seconds does it, and we can't help but notice that he fumbled with his screwdriver a bit, so a mechanical virtuoso could no doubt achieve an even quicker hack.
and there are some physical attacks available that don't even require you to open up a computer's case. All of these attacks would leave the evil maids plenty of time to make the bed, empty the trash, leave a mint on your pillow, and pocket the tip. You do tip housekeeping, don't you? As a public service, we'd like to remind all you planning to attend Black Hat and DEF CON at the beginning of August that, yes, it's the right thing to do. Remember housekeeping when you stay in a hotel. Travel and Leisure magazine says that 2 to $5 per occupant per night is customary and just good manners. Just leave a few bucks to take care of the people who take care of you. Remember, most maids are good and not evil. If you find that housekeeping flashed your firmware, of course, you can reflect your displeasure in the amount you leave. Installing a rootkit would be housekeeping's equivalent of the wait staff sticking their thumbs in your soup. Be worse, I guess. A side note on human intelligence tradecraft. When recruiting agents, the smart human officers don't necessarily want to recruit the head of the enemy's secret police. They'd be just as happy to obtain the services of the cleaning crew employed by the head of the enemy's secret police, especially if the head of the enemy's secret police leaves his Chromebook lying around. Think about it, chief, and take a look at what you're leaving behind in that hotel wastebasket before you head out to the arsenal or the business hall. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Emily Wilson. She's the Director of Analysis at Terbium Labs. Emily, welcome back. Um, You recently attended a fraud conference, which uh, news to me that there is such a thing. Uh, But you had some interesting conversations there. Uh, Bring us up to date. What did you learn? Definitely. I am am fresh back from Vegas, and not just a fraud conference, but the fraud conference, in (laughs) fact, hosted by the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. Uh, And I spent a couple of days surrounded by all different kinds of fraud professionals, everything from 
uh, investigators to uh, law enforcement, auditors, people who are working on different kinds of internal controls, you know, risk and compliance. Uh, I have to tell you, it was a great experience. If you have any interest in getting a better grasp on what fraud professionals are dealing with, I would recommend this conference. It was really informative. Now, one of the things you discovered was that not the fraud folks and the InfoSec folks may not be communicating effectively? I did. I, I used this this chance to sort of, you know, I, I go to a lot of different kinds of security conferences and industry events. And so uh, this was a chance for me to kind of be a, a minority practitioner and do a little kind of impromptu uh, survey of the audience. Uh, and I was asking people, you know, hey, on the fraud side, are you guys discussing kind of your workflow? Are you working with your security teams? You know, are you guys sharing tools or resources? And I was surprised to get consistent answers. They were uh, kind of uniform and uniformly optimistic, I'll say. Hmm. I heard pe- from people consistently that they are not working as fraud professionals with their security teams, hmm. but they're starting to. It's starting to get better is how everyone phrased it. Um, and everyone expressed a, a real desire to see more collaboration. They understand that security professionals have access to data and intelligence and resources that can impact the fraud departments, and they want to get their hands on that. They want to collaborate. They're just not quite sure how to get there. Now, one of the other things uh, you shared with me is that uh, you spoke to some folks from some large companies that had had breaches, and they found that to be a place to kind of pivot on, on on how they deal with these things. That's true. I I spoke with a couple of different individuals from companies who have not had the best year or last 18 (laughs) months. Uh, Sort of that reaction of, oh, how's how are things at your organization Uh, once you see the name tag? And Mm. what they told me was that these crises, while unfortunate and really disruptive, have actually been the catalyst for allowing fraud teams to communicate with security teams. Now, whether because uh, they're getting what they've always asked for, which is more uh, more conversation and more collaboration, or because of the changes in oversight, it's now required that the teams work together. And so they have shared budgets and shared resources, and they're moving people around in departments so that they're, you know, they're shifting perspectives to try and figure out how to prevent these crises from happening again. And so what I'm trying to figure out, I think we should all be trying to figure out, is how can we get ahead of that? You know, we ha- we shouldn't have earth-shattering crises to get to the point where departments are talking to one another. Right. What if we can get to it before that happens, and, and how do we get there? Yeah, learn from the lessons that, that they've experienced and get, get ahead of the problem. Yes, if we can get ahead of the problem, if we can stop this constant struggle of each department reinventing a portion of the wheel only to find out that everyone else is working in parallel, if we could... God forbid, all work together on solving problems that impact multiple departments. Maybe some of these crises wouldn't have happened. Interesting insights. Emily Wilson, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber 
take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.